Now, I cannot fault anyone for falling asleep right now, but I don't want to hear any snoring. All right? The last few weeks um, with Father James' illness, we have been praying a prayer at the end of our intercessions for a cure. And uh, yesterday, of course, we finished the novena, uh, invoking uh, St. James and and a cure. Yesterday was the feast of St. James, as a matter of fact. And Father James has asked that we kind of you know, quiet things down a little bit. Um, He recognizes, as I I know we're aware as well, that there are others who are uh, just as ill in the parish and that they need our prayers as well. And uh, so what we're going to start doing is, uh, I would ask that you continue to pray this prayer privately, but we're no longer going to pray this at the end of the intercessions as a a company. Uh, So, but please, pray this constantly, all righty? You know, we, uh, as Catholics, a lot of things about our church, a lot of things about the way we celebrate Eucharist and, and you know, things about our, the way we're called to live life, etc., that lots of folks are just not aware of. And, um, you know, one of the, the wonderful things that we have when we come together to celebrate the Eucharist is our, our readings, of course, every week. And, and the church has actually sort of put a plan in place so that we hear just about everything you could possibly hear from our scriptures if you're here every Sunday, every day for Mass, and uh, if you pray the, uh, the, the liturgy of the hours. If you do all of that over a five-year period, you would actually hear every single bit of scripture. But in particularly, our Sunday readings are, are set into um, uh, three different, um, well, they're based on the Gospels, obviously. So. We have a year A in which we hear primarily from the Gospel of Matthew. We have a year B in which we hear primarily from the Gospel of Mark, and that's this year. And then we have a year C in which we primarily hear from the Gospel of Luke. So what happens to John? Well, John is used in this year of Mark because Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. It is used not to fill, but actually to to, uh, focus on something very special. And uh, as Andy mentioned in his opening remarks uh, this morning for Mass, we will hear now for the next five weeks from the Gospel of John, and in particularly from the sixth chapter. And this chapter focuses us and helps us to dwell on the mystery of the Eucharist. You know, we know that Jesus establishes the Eucharist at the Last Supper, but there's more to it. You know, there's a way we're called to live it. There's a, 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 a deep reality to it. And so this sixth chapter helps us to get more in touch with that. And I would highly recommend, uh, you know, maybe sometime during these uh, uh, weeks of focusing on, on this chapter that, you know, maybe you pull the Bible out at home and, and read through the whole thing and, and pray with it um, because it, it, it really does speak to us in a, a very deep way about how this meal, how this sacrament that we share in around this table each time we come together is not just about what happens here for an hour, but what happens out in the world. Uh, A change of life for us, a change of life for others as they experience us. And, uh, you know, it's a a wonderful opportunity then for us over these weeks to, to get very very much in touch with this. 
Now, a couple of weeks ago, in hearing from Mark's gospel, we, we read how Jesus sent his apostles in pairs throughout the land to preach and to heal and to cast out demons. And then last Sunday, we read of their return and Jesus' hope to, to take them to an out-of-the-way place to, to rest and to pray and to ponder the meaning of what they had actually accomplished among the people. And we also recall that the crowds tracked Jesus and the apostles down. You know, they caught up with them. And on seeing the crowd of people, Jesus comments that they are like sheep without a shepherd. And what he was doing there was making an allusion as to how Israel was living its faith at that time, which was not real good. So if we had continued to read Mark this week, we would have heard Mark's version of what we hear from John today. We hear about the multiplication of loaves and fishes and uh, the feeding of the multitude. But there's a big difference between Mark's version and John's version. And they have two different perspectives on things. Mark would, uh, would have us see the crowd as leaderless and that the crowd is hungry. But John does not portray it that way for us today. In John, there is no mention that the crowd is hungry, nor is there mention that anyone was even concerned about being fed. But in Mark, Jesus feeds the crowd because they are hungry. In John, Jesus feeds the crowd because he wishes to give them something that they had not even asked for. The section of John has the Eucharist in mind. And you have to, you have to keep in your head here that John is writing this gospel many, many years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's the last of the gospels to be written. So by the time he writes this, the Eucharist is already being celebrated in a particular way. And so he constructs his gospel with that in mind, you know, of how the Eucharist was already prayed by the people and, and how it was becoming what we celebrate today. And so this entire section of John that we begin today and we'll read for these next four weeks as well, refers to, as Andy mentioned, what is called the Bread of Life Discourse. And in it, John is expounding on the mystery of the gift, the gift of Jesus' body and blood, and what, what it means for us. And so it's very, very important today for us to pay attention also to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. You know, I, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, we have this cycle of readings, and it's also important to point out that the first reading from the Old Testament is usually, not always, but we hear the fulfillment of that in the gospel that is proclaimed, and, and so the closeness of these two readings today. And the middle reading 
is as much as possible drawn into and tied to uh, both of those readings as well. And, and Paul, in this letter, finds himself uh, in trouble, finds himself in prison, writing to the Ephesians. And unfortunately, um, you know, he's, he's writing to them because he's hearing about a splintering. And he's, he's calling them to be one. And the scandal of our Christian faith, of course, is that, that we are divided into different denominations. That is not what Jesus had intended at all. And we are called then, in the way we live our lives, to, to try to heal this. And today is a good day to ponder how very split we are. You know, I think when I began here about seven years ago, um, I probably said something about the fact that Christianity today in just the United States is split into about 35,000 different denominations. Well, here seven years later, it's over 40,000. You know, Martin Luther didn't agree with what the church taught, so he splits. And then a couple of guys split from him, and then a couple of more split from them, and it just keeps going on and on and on. And today, it is a scandal. It is not what Jesus had intended. You've probably heard people say to you, who are not Christian, you know, why would I want to be a Christian when, when you people act the way you do, when you are so uh, divided? It, it shouldn't be happening, but unfortunately, it does. And Paul gets arrested because he brings a Gentile into the temple. And he's trying to show this individual what it's like to be a Jewish person. Of course, you have to remember that to be a Christian in that time was also to be a Jew. And as a Roman citizen, he has the right to a trial before the emperor. He demands that. And this letter is written as he sits in prison in Rome. And he's concerned between the division of Gentile and Jew because it's affecting it's affecting the growth of the church, of, of the body that Jesus left behind. And so Paul pleads for unity. And he writes about our vocation as Christians to grow together in love, not division. And you know, how we struggle and how we overcome our differences within the church should be a witness to the world about how all of humanity is called to come together in unity. All things united in Christ. And as Christ's followers, you know, we're, we're called, we have to act like we're his followers. You know, not to leave the church because we have a disagreement, but to do things to, to heal those wounds. You know, our passage today singles out several virtues that are necessary in order to achieve this unity. You know, Paul says humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with each other in love. And it's important to recognize that humility in that day and age was looked at somewhat differently than we do now, but still sometimes we get stuck in this. Humility was a very, very difficult pill 
for an individual living at that time to swallow. Because humility had everything to do with knowing your place in the society and not stepping outside of that. You know, unless you were an equal, you didn't walk next to the other person. You know, some faiths, some traditions still practice this today. You know, in Islam, the wife walks behind the husband. There is no equality there at all. But for Paul, for Paul, Jesus Christ made it possible for all of us to walk side by side. And Jesus was never concerned about a person's place in society. You know, he fed everyone, and he, he fed them equally. No one got more. No one got less. No one was even forced to ask. You know, what Jesus has to give, he gives whether we ask for it or not. And what Jesus has to give is so great that it exists in abundance. As we begin together this journey with the Bread of Life discourse, we might just ask how Jesus' body and blood affect us and affect our prejudices and our willingness to walk side by side with one another in his church. And we might also consider how we walk side by side with those who are not Catholic. Do we witness to the truth of the love of Jesus Christ in his church? And by doing so, do we draw others to him? Do we draw others to him, or, or are we a reason for discord? We have a great responsibility to help others to know God and to unite them in his body, which is the church. And we've been celebrating a festival for the last couple of days. And I hope that people who've been visiting with us have seen, because of how you are with them, that they've seen Jesus, you know, that they've seen kindness and, and love in the way that you've been serving. But we have many chances outside of this weekend to do that and, and do it well. And remember, as Paul tells us, that it takes humility and it takes gentleness and patience and it takes bearing with each other in love. Do that. You know, I know I'm talking to the choir. Do that and help others to do that as well. And then, you know, this body of Christ will unite again and be for the world what it's called to be.